Welcome to Reconciling Grace, a program where church leaders discuss various topics from the Bible. During the discussions, there may or may not always be agreement from every panel member on every point, but there is full agreement on the fact that the way to God the Father is through the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ. Welcome to Reconciling Grace. This is a podcast where we discuss topics and passages related to the Bible. My name is Pete Vecchi. I'm Associate Pastor for Christway Community Church in Pleasantville, Ohio. Joined today with our regular panelists, or by our regular panelists, I should say, Don McDonald from Danforth Reformed Church in Danforth, Illinois, and Josh Kugel, who is the pastor of First Baptist Church of Lyman in Gulfport, Mississippi. And today we're going to be doing part two about missions. Last time I think we called the first part something about mission to Thailand. And I think part two we're going to call something along the lines of the changing face of missions or the changing face of missions work. Uh, we talked a lot about uh, Josh's recent trip to Thailand. He and his daughter went to Thailand on a mission trip just uh, several weeks ago. Uh, it was a short-term trip, about seven days, Josh said, and and they did a lot of different things down there, sharing the gospel in an area where Josh said that it is approximately 1% Christian, and um, a lot of what they had to do down there had to do with missionary care, and that was what kind of piqued my interest in doing the second, uh, the second episode on this, missionary care. Josh, is something that I had never really put those words together as something that you can do to support mission work. You know, I, I, I guess when I was growing up and I would hear about mission work, it was go to Africa and spend all your time in the bush. And, you know, there's an old there's an old song that, you know, please don't send me to Africa. I don't think I got what it takes. I'm just a man, not a Tarzan. I don't like spiders gorillas or snakes you know things like that and it just seemed like spreading the gospel in all these out of the way places always had to do with africa or in the church of the nazarene also papua new guinea those are the two places um but you were sharing with us about thailand and missionary care and if you wouldn't mind would you just kind of review with us a little bit about a couple of the missionaries you, sh you shared with us about, um, they had been in, 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 I think you said in South Africa and they moved from there and what yeah. they were dealing with and how your daughter actually interacted with them. And cause that really spoke to me about missionary care. Yeah. Well, um, some of the missionary, we, we, we met a, a couple from South Africa. Um, they'd been in Zambia for, I think it was eight years. Um, maybe more. Um, and here they are close to 70 and they're on a new assignment to Thailand where they don't speak Thai and they're in a part of the country where they're running and they're hoping to to start running a ministry center. So somebody's purchased a building um, and they're hoping to attract pastors from northern Thailand to train in this building. So they're running this building, but they don't speak Thai and they're in a, a city not a small city i think 15 to twenty thousand. where where there's not another english speaker there um and so they don't speak thai and everybody around them speaks thai and they go to a church that has 10 to 15 people the pastor is chinese and he speaks thai and he preaches in thai 
And in order to speak to their pastor, they have to speak through their phone, through Google Translate. Um, and so it, it just hit me how difficult this must be. They've been there for six or seven months and um, they just walk the streets. They they work at the ministry center to make it what it needs to be. They they talk to family who is very far away over Zoom every day. And that is the interaction they get with people um, other than smiling and waving and saying hello. So Abby was able to go. My daughter was able to go on this trip with me. And one of the things I just noticed, and there were a couple of things that happened that made me start thinking about it. But one of the things I noticed is how neat it was for this, this missionary um, woman who is far away from her family and can't talk to somebody every day. I don't know how I would deal with that. Um, it, for a, a girl to come into her life on an afternoon. And so she just... They, they hit it off really quick. They went shopping. They walked the streets together. They talked. And um, it was just, it was really neat to me that Evie got to be a stand-in for her granddaughter or something, you know, something along those lines. It was just really neat to see that. And it just began to dawn on me how difficult it must be. Now, I, I don't want to paint missionaries as these lonely people who are just sitting over there, you know, waiting for somebody to talk to them because... If you're a missionary, obviously God has called you to bring the gospel to a place where there's not where the gospel isn't. So the excitement of their job is is the work of their job. But I've I've heard over that week that there there's a potential for burnout in a lot of places where it's just you know very very uh, there there aren't many Christians around and it's a different culture and they speak a different language. Um, there's a very real possibility of burnout. And there's just a possibility of loneliness and discouragement and sometimes depression and things like that. So I started thinking, you know, we do need to have as a church and as church people, just a, um, a passion, a pursuit of caring for the missionaries we send out. Um, and I just have a lot of thoughts about that. In the Southern Baptist Convention, we, we have an organization called the International Mission Board. And we fund the International Mission Board, which then turns around and funds our missionaries. So we don't have any direct connections to missionaries based on our funding. And the Church of the Nazarene, it's the same thing. We don't fund, or we didn't fund, I didn't fund, our churches didn't fund missionaries directly. We paid the denominations to pay for missionaries. And so we didn't have a lot of, the missionaries weren't dependent on the local church for their funding. They were dependent on the denomination. And what that tends to do, and what I found out really quick, is it tends to create uh, a, a buffer, uh, a separation between the church and the missionary a lot of times, because the missionary is not dependent on the church. They're dependent on the denomination. And I went through, we well, we went, we went with uh, a couple of pastors who also work with an independent mission organization where... I was able to see uh, missionaries who were dependent on local churches for funding. And the relationship they have with those local churches seems to be stronger than the ones who go through our denomination, denominational organizations because they have to go back to those churches. <laughs> and there are people in those churches who are making sure they have funding and all. But, but that's just a side issue. Um, but through that other organization I began to see and in, in through International Mission Board, I think we have the same people, is that there are actually missionaries in America 
who are charged with and who raise money so that they can care for missionaries abroad. So I went with a guy who lives in northern Mississippi, but he actually works as a missionary care person for missionaries overseas. And within every two years, he goes and sees every single missionary that he's responsible for, makes sure they have what they need, calls them multiple times a week, makes sure they're sourced properly, makes sure they're happy or they're healthy or their kids are taken care of and all this stuff. Um, but he says, he says, it's really hard to do my job because here in America, we don't think missionary care. So we don't give money to make sure missionaries are cared for. We give money to support their work so that they have bill, the bills paid and all that. But we don't give money. He said, I have a hard time raising money for what I'm doing because what I'm doing is making sure that they are cared for. Um, and so it just hit me that maybe American churches need to be presented with the idea that we've sent missionaries out that are super courageous, that are really, you know, living out there in a, in a way, in a place that we never would or would consider. And we need to make sure they're okay. And we need to make sure they see family every once in a while. And we need to make sure they get mail and care packages. Um, there's a church in Georgia and there's a reason they're, there's a reason they're bigger than we are. <laughs> They have they support 40 missionaries and they send a care package from what I understand to every missionary that they support once a month. I mean, I, I don't know. It's cool. And I hear that stuff and I'm like, man, you know, I don't know. So it, it just it, it hit me how I think we need to be thinking along those lines of are the people we send out. Our, our support of them should be more than just monetary. I guess I, I want to speak on behalf of the Reformed Church. Yeah. Um, it's missionary work is at least 200 years old, if not older. Um, because I think in four years, the Reformed Church will celebrate 400 years of presence in the United States. That, that's a lot of work. And the mission work of the 1800s, you know, the Reformed Church was the first one to break into Japan to do mission work. There's a very strong RCA hospital in Bahrain. Um, I had the honor of, of uh, the retired missionary was from Mount Greenwood Reformed Church. So she retired back to Chicago. So I got a lot of firsthand experiences of listening to her share what missionary work was like right after World War II. And so the, the Reformed churches, which is something we're trying to figure out as we deal with our redefining who we are, the mission work has been a very much a part of it. And what we do in the Reformed churches, each congregation will buy a partner in ministry mission share. And then on a regular basis, we will get, you know, reports from the missionaries. This is what we're doing. And I know it's been quite a while since we've done it, but we used to have our Sunday school classes send the letters to the missionaries that we were supporting. And at one time we used to send Christmas packages. Uh, we supported uh, had like a half share to missionaries that worked in Japan and they were, uh, he taught in a seminary in Japan. So there was a lot of intentional 
support communication from the local church. And, and I think sometimes Josh, and I, I learned this from Christ church, which was an independent church. So they worked with many missionary agencies. It's so easy to give the money and then forget. And, and I think that's where we really need to be aware of not just foreign missionaries doing work, but also our domestic, those who are in our backyards. Sometimes we forget that they're there, you know, in the food pantries and dealing with the homeless and, you know, all those things. And that's something that I enjoy about doing this part too, is because we're not just reporting that the Kugels went to Thailand. Now we're saying, okay, what are you doing to help missionaries, what are you doing to being aware of the amount of isolation that they're experiencing? You know, and that that means that each person who is in Christ, who's a part of the body of the Christ, maybe needs to slow down and say, is there somebody who has been placed at my heart that I haven't followed up on that's a missionary that I heard about a while back? Mm-hmm. You know, put some feet, some hands to being supportive of that. I know at Christ Church of Oakbrook, they would do a, a mission, you know, Sunday where raise money, be aware. And then they were very intentional about having some type of communique in the bulletin of this is the mission of the month. This is this person. Don't be afraid to reach out. I think there needs to be some intentionality about that. I think we're blessed with our social platforms, you know, you said something to me, Josh, that caught my attention. I think it was in the last one that right away, Evie made friends with that grandma type on Facebook so that there'd be a constant connection there. So I, I think it's an awareness and acting on the awareness that helps with the care of our missionaries. Yeah, I tend to agree. Um, and yeah, I, I really like where this has um brought us here today because sometimes I think that I, I think you've both spoken to the fact that there's this 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 I don't know gap between the church here at home and the church that's mission-minded the churches elsewhere whether it be foreign missions whether it be local missions and part of the problem that I see, and I'm just going to be blunt about it, is it's like, well, you, you hear that the missionaries are coming and, you know, you're going to hear some stories and they're going to ask you for money. You know, and that's that's unfortunate. That's very unfortunate. The, pro- the truth is they need money. You know, they're not in it for the money. But as a, as a friend of mine used to say when we were both in music ministry, he said, we don't do this for the money, but we need the money to keep doing it. I mean, it's, it's, it's a reality. Um. But I, I'm, I'm just I'm just drawn to this whole personal aspect of it, like like you mentioned, Don, about what Josh said about the Facebook friending, about the about how these people can be connected with us. I know there's one church here in Xenia, where I live in Xenia, Ohio, that actually has purchased a house and the land around it to house missionaries when they are home in the area from, from the mission field. So they'll be able to stay in this house for, you know, months to a couple of years at a time while they're, they're doing that. They'll have this home base and then they'll, then they'll connect a lot of times with the people from this local church. And that brings up relationships that happen and and they are maintained. Uh, I think that's a really great thing to do it. And so 
part of the thing about changing face of missions, Don, you, you said it well with the idea of social media. You know, we, we, we knock social media so much, but, you know, just like anything else, if we use it for God, it can be a good thing. The problem is the devil wants to use it just as hard as as, as God's people do. So it depends on how you use it. Um, you don't want to get addicted to it. That's another whole uh, episode, I think. But um, still, it's it's a tool that, that God can use. We would not be reaching so many people with the gospel if it wasn't for the internet, for instance. So... You know, these things can be used for good. It's just we, we have to do it intentionally. So anyway, I just brought that up. I hope I didn't get too far afield there. But I just like the idea of the fact that missions isn't always about, you know, as I said before, going to Africa and, and, and going to the mission service and hearing the missionary and putting money in a plate. Th these are real people that are out there who have been called by God. And who are doing the work God has called them to do. And it can be lonely. I mean, listen to some of the things that Paul said in the Bible. Some of the things that he went through, you know, that he he was in danger from bandits, in danger in, in storms. He was shipwrecked for two for uh, three days and two nights or however many that was. You know, he, he'd been beaten. He'd been uh, hungry. He'd been without clothing. It's a real person. These are real people out there, and some of them aren't, aren't, how do I say, they're actually being persecuted, not just ostracized, but persecuted for doing what they're doing. Josh mentioned in the first episode about some people who go to another nation by, first of all, going to Thailand, because they're not welcome in the other nations, so... Josh, you have this look on your face like like you you very much are into this. Like you're almost emotional about it right now. But... Oh, no, I'm just sleeping. Okay. No, okay. I'm, just... <laughs> I'm no. just kidding. Hey, I do want to add, if we're talking about the changing face of missions, um, I do want to add that there are a lot of people in America that are living as conservative, and I, I don't mean conservative politically necessarily, but Bible-believing Christians who are now living in an area that is sometimes hostile to their beliefs. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I do think that some of our mission work needs to be directed to our own kids, needs to be directed to the people in our churches, um, because I think we've lost, uh, I don't know, I, I, I don't think we're where we used to be as far as a church. I, I do believe we're we're needing to get to a place where we teach our the people in our churches how to live in a culture that has changed a lot. Um, and the the last thing I was listening to a podcast the other day, and he was he was talking. He says, "For me, it's really easy to support foreign missions because you know you go somewhere exciting, and I don't want to ever discourage anybody from foreign missions. I think there's I, I think it opens you up to what God has. I think the world needs to hear Jesus and everything else. But he says it's the the thing is it's getting harder and harder to do evangelism here at home. And it could be that God is calling you and and I don't want to say to be where you are and just kind of be a Christian where you are, but it could be that God is calling you to intentionally interact 
with your lost culture that exists in your town. Um, and I don't want to say that's the same thing as going to, you know, Thailand on a mission work or going to, you know, but I, I'm going to be honest, um, going to Canada right now to do mission work has to be just extremely difficult. Um, some places in Europe that call themselves post-Christian that are very um, unfriendly to uh, what we would call biblical Christianity um, has to be just extremely scary to me. Well, Josh, uh, if I can bring up an example, I just heard about this probably within the last two months. Uh, it was reported on one of our Christian news stations at Faith and Friends Radio that um, there was somebody in Great Britain Great Britain, okay, arrested because they were praying in public. Yeah. Not leading a prayer in public, but because they were praying in public. It's yeah. it's it's out there where people are actually being persecuted, ostracized, and some are called to go there. And you know, who would have thought that there would be a, a missionary need in Great Britain? It's 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 happened to many. Christian families who thought they had all the bases covered with their kids, who thought they were doing the right thing, and their kids turn out to be very far from Jesus. And I think in America and I think in Europe, we're finding the same thing where we just thought, oh, we're fine. Let's focus on them out there who have problems. And we did not carry the ball when we were supposed to the way we should have. And now we're looking around going, what has happened to the nation around us? And um, I think I don't one know. of the things that catches my attention in the conversation we're having presently is, and I guess the way I would put it is, we got lazy for 50 years just assuming. You we're know, good. You know, we just assuming everyone was going to be Christian, just assuming that, you know, oh, yeah, everything's fine in our own backyard. And it's sort of like, you know, one time Chris and I were asked, why did we stay in rural America? Why didn't we finish our careers in the city? You know, type of questioning. And and part of it was because we saw our callings in life as more mission work than anything else. I, I live in a county in Illinois that's land rich and people poor. Iroquois County is probably one of the poorest counties in the state of Illinois. Um, and it has so many needs, you know, from food pantries to, you know, winter coats to whatnot that, you know, for us as a church, we began to realize it's it's much more than doing church. It's doing mission work. And, you know, what's ironic is the movement of the church now, when you look at some of the seminars, I just had one come across my email pile is how to become a missional church uh, rather than just being church, you know, and, and I think we got lazy, you know, yeah. with our work and we were blessed by a Billy Graham. We were blessed by promise keepers. We were blessed by all these, but nobody took the baton as it were, individually to keep it going you know that that's one of my concerns i'm basically a moses right now you know at danforth you know and so who's my joshua who's the next one you know that's been my prayer walk who will have the heart of missions you know for this little church and the work we do um we were blessed with COVID, 
I'm going to say it that way. We were blessed with COVID because all of a sudden our mission work as a local church went from just take care of those in the building to, oh, wow, we now can proclaim the gospel across Facebook. You know, I encourage people to be sharing our worship service. You know, if I get 20 shares, that's quietly what I'm praying for. That's 20 people who are probably connected to another 10 people. You know, I'm just making up a number right now, but the connections of friends to friends in that work, you know, and, you know, I, I feel the people sort of going, no, we don't want to do that on our timeline. And I think part of it is we need to convince our believers that they're as much missionaries on their timelines as they are anyplace else. So I, I, I see, you know, a necessary shift for the church away from, you can't be the church of the thirties and the forties, 1930s and forties, better clarify that. It, we got to be a totally different church now mm-hmm. in how we approach missions. And yeah, but I, I, I do think as mission work, the gospel has to be the focus Agreed. And, and evangelism has to be the focus. Agreed. And, um, and I think that our, our, and, and not to sound too Nazarene, you won't mind if I try to sound a little Nazarene though, Pete, will you? Just a little bit. That's fine. <laughs> I think holiness needs to be our focus. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I, I don't necessarily, I mean, we have to live differently than our culture and if we're talking and, and when we're talking missions, missions is always intentionally interacting with our culture in a way that they see Jesus in us um, and, and with with the purpose that they would give themselves to Jesus. Um, if we're doing charity work or whatever, it should still be with the purpose that they see Jesus in us and give themselves to Jesus. Um, so I don't know. Well, I, I, I don't dis- yeah, I don't disagree with you, Josh. I think that it's I think it's very important. Um, and I think the, the key is, you know, today we're talking about missions and and what's the difference? Uh, what's the changing face of missions? I think one of the things that struck me, and this goes back probably twenty twenty five years, when I was hearing that even in the Church of the Nazarene, I think it was. I'm not positive it was that denomination, this denomination that I'm in, but we were hearing about it here that there were people being sent from foreign countries to the United States as missionaries. And it's like, Whoa, what happened? You know, when you think about that, because the the United States was so for so long, Don, you were talking back in the thirties and forties, 1930s, 1940s. um, We were the mission sending people. And, you know, we've, we've let it kind of slide in many ways. We have abandoned our kids to the public schools. And please, if you're a public school teacher, or a public school worker, please understand I'm not, I'm not, you know, trying to say anything negative against you. But in the public schools, they do not teach Jesus. They do not preach Jesus. They are taught a humanistic philosophy and the humanistic philosophy is starting to take hold. We don't realize how just one generation of kids is, you know, 
is is making such a big difference just because it's not, it's not starting to take hold though, Pete. Well, I mean, okay, you know, I'm I'm trying to be nice here. It has taken hold in a great in a great big way. I was sharing uh what I preached recently, and this is not to be political, but this is just to say, you know, I think when we talked about it, we talked about in a previous uh podcast about the uh awakening or whatever we wanted to call it revival that was happening in Asbury College. You know, these kids who are college age, most of them have only been in school. They they probably spent their grades one through twelve. So the years in from elementary school to high school, they they don't know what it was like to live in an America that hadn't had a black president. That's nothing to say against President Obama or anything, but but remember what the big deal was when it was the first black president? Well, guess what? He was already in office when they were in school. You know, so it's just a, a total different type of of thing where where they don't have the same reference points as people like we do. And each year it gets more and more and more. And and they're learning the humanistic philosophies rather than the fact that it's about time to turn to God. And if we don't approach mission work of every kind without prayer without god it's just going to be on our human our own human efforts and our own human efforts are going to fail apart from god and that's so important that's why i prayed so often lord i prayed so often to the lord for you josh when when you're on this mission trip that that you would be bearing fruit that he would want and even if you didn't see it at that time you know, you may have been planting a seed that will bear fruit 10, 20 years from now. Yeah. That's the hope. Yep. So yeah. has mission changed? Has, has the face of missions changed? I I don't. Um, I don't think so. We still live in a, a world where there's a lot of lost people. Many of them haven't heard about Jesus. And our goal is still what Jesus gave us when. He gave what we call the Great Commission. Um, so what what's changed, I suppose, is culture and the needs of some missionaries, that kind of thing. But um, I don't know. I mean, people are still lost and going to hell if they don't mm -hmm. have Jesus. So the goal is exactly the same. Yeah. And I think the method is while little things change the whole goal is so that you introduce them to jesus not to something else so but in thailand one of the ministries i worked with uses english teaching to introduce people to jesus mm -hmm. they all want to learn english and so they teach them english through some of the is bible stories it's not beat them over the head kind of stuff but it's using characters from the bible to teach them about english mm -hmm. and in teaching them english you teach them the gospel and so that's a method that's changed but the goal is still the same sure sure so, yeah i think yeah. i agree with you josh that the intentionality of missions hasn't changed and that yeah. present the gospel to change people's lives for eternity in christ yeah, I think what is evolving is the way that it's being done. Um, 
who knows how it's going to look 20 years from now. Cause I, I, I'm thinking about Billy Graham. He was the first one to use television. Hmm. He was the first one to really take advantage. When you study evangelism, the history thereof, you know, he was attuned to media of that time and used it wisely and well. Um, and, and I think that's the real, the real question is going to be how will the message will never change. The results will never change, but the way we do the message is, is what's going to come to mind. You know, my, my grandfather, I remember when I brought home the first Apple two C computer and right away he said, the world has changed in such a way that I can't even comprehend what a hundred years will bring. And that was late seventies, early eighties, somewhere in there. Um, and, and I think, you know, when we talk about mission work, the one thing I learned from Trinity, because I went to Trinity Deerfield is that the missionary has to be aware of the culture and the missionary has to be aware of the time period of which they are doing the gospel and adjust accordingly. And I can see how isolation can be such a part of that process for missionaries. But if we're really honest, even for us ministers, we're adapting and, and working hard. And, uh, you know, I pray a lot for missionaries, but I also pray for these young ministers coming in. Imagine what 30 years of ministry will bring for them in all the changes and whatnot. Mm -hmm. so I, I think overall, I know we're probably near closing. The reality is we really need to be in prayer for our missionaries, both in our own backyards and overseas that God uses them mightily and that the church is convicted, and I'm choosing the word convicted intentionally, to care for those who are doing that work, to to reach out and be intentional in that reality. So that was some of my thoughts. I think that's a great way to sum it up. You even used some of the words that I was going to about the uh, about the message doesn't change, but the methods we use have to change. And uh, what you said, Don, was was great to tie it up there. So, Josh, did you have any last words you wanted to mention? Or nope, I'm good. Okay, well, I want to thank you. I mean, we wouldn't have had these two programs if you wouldn't gone to Thailand. So, see, maybe the maybe the fruits are being born yet. And I'm not, I, you know, we're we're laughing about that, yeah. But maybe the fruits are being born. Maybe somebody will hear this. Maybe somebody will be 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 have their heart just softened towards mission work. You know, the bottom line is God calls each of us to something different. The fact that we are pastors doesn't make us better Christians. It just means that that's where God has assigned us. The, the fact that there are people who are on the mission field doesn't mean they're better Christians. It means that that's what God has called them to do. We're all called to different things. We all have different gifts, different graces. The Bible is clear about that. And what we need to do is we need to follow God. And Josh is saying one more thing, one more thing. I want to say one thing. It doesn't make them better Christians unless you look at the fact that most of us are called to something that we're not doing right now. Correct. And I'm going to be honest. Um, most Christians are called to more than they're living to. Sure. Um, so, you, you know, just to say that everybody's equal and all this, and, and I just, my, my hope from this episode, my hope from what I'm doing, my hope from the teaching I got from this is that we would all recognize that whether we go to Thailand or not, 
God has us where we are to make intentional evangelism, intentional work, intentional stuff that we're supposed to do, whether it's by giving, whether it's by serving, it's not by just sitting there and taking up space. Um, and so if you're sitting up, if you're sitting there taking up space thinking, Hey, there's, you know, I'm just doing just as much as a missionary in Thailand. No, you're not. <laughs> yeah. Well, if, no, I, if what I said, it caused anybody to hear it that way. I, I did not mean it that way. I meant it along yeah. the lines of what you were saying, Josh. So thank yeah. you for the, for, um, you know, I figured you did. I just didn't want anybody, you know, yeah. right, right. And I understand that that's what I understood the spirit in which that was meant. And it was taken that way. Um, that's what I'm saying. So, you know, the bottom line is we want to communicate and we're just, my point was just simply let God use you the way he wants to use you because he's made you a, a unique person. And that doesn't mean to just sit back and rest on your laurels. That means, you know, to do what he wants you to do and be open to what he wants you to do. So. Hey, Pete, I'm not yeah. going to let you close yet. It's my turn to interrupt. Oh, you go I'm ahead. Trying, I'm trying to keep up with Josh. It's not All right. No one can keep up with Josh. <laughs> I, I always have in my mind a person who was blind, both legs amputated, kidney, pancreas, double transplant, Mayo Clinic. She was my best evangelist because when she'd hear a voice in the church that wasn't a normal voice, she'd get after her husband. I want the telephone number. And I'm calling that person on Monday to let them know they are welcome to this church. She's blind. She had no legs. And God used her powerfully. Mm -hmm. She had every reason not to want to be used of God. Every excuse possible. Um, and so I guess what I'm saying is, I'm, I'm saying amen to what Josh is saying that you know, if, if you don't use what God gives you, you can't expect the kingdom of God to grow. You know, last Sunday, I brought that out real clear in, in my sermon because I'm a child of an alcoholic. I'm the first generation divorced. And it was made clear by some of the Christians at the church I grew up in that God wasn't going to use me because of who I was and where I was from. And I was blessed with a youth pastor who said, God's going to use you more because of where you've been uh, and who you are. Yeah. And I think when we think about mission work, you could make a list of why not to, and God's going to say, why don't you? Yep. So and just, just for the record, Don, I want to make sure the people who, who know you and Chris know that you are a child of divorce, not that you were the first one divorced. You and Chris are just fine. So as far as I know. Today we are, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so. Yeah, I am um, a child of divorce, yes. Yes, yes. And I understood, I understood what you meant, but I just wanted to make sure that anybody who listened, you know, we sometimes have an old high school friend or something who hasn't heard from us in 30 years uh, listen to one of our podcasts. So we just wanted to make sure that, that people know that. But anyway. Guys, it's been it's been a really interesting and I think a good uh, conversation these last two actually. So, I want to thank you both for for being part of this. For Don McDonald, who's the uh, pastor of Danforth Reformed Church, Danforth, Illinois. Josh Kugel, as I said, who who started this whole thing by going to uh, Thailand a few weeks ago. Uh, he's the pastor of. Uh, First Baptist Church of Lyman in Gulfport, Mississippi. My name is Pete Vecchi. I'm an associate pastor for Christway Community Church in Pleasantville, Ohio. 
And I want to thank you all for joining us for another episode of Reconciling Grace. And Lord willing, we'll see you again next time. This has been Reconciling Grace. If you have a comment or a question for our panel, or if you would like to invite one or more of our panelists to share with your church or group, please send an email to rg at faithandfriendsradio.com. And thank you for listening to Reconciling Grace. Reconciling Grace.